Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. So if you um, have your Bible there, um, you can open it up. Um, today we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. Um, it'll also be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, we're going to be reading from verses 25 um, through to 37. So it's Luke 10, 25, um, 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and uh, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Um, I'm just going to pray before we um, hear from Pete. Ah, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for um, the gift that it is to get to come together today um, to sit under your word. And we pray that you'll please um, speak through Pete today. Um, would you be with him? And as he ministers to us through your word, I pray you bless his words and um, bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Katie. As Katie said, my name is Pete, and it's pleasure and joy to, to be able to bring God's word to us today. Uh, last week, we had an update on the, the opportunity we have to partner together with a couple of other local churches to plant a church. And what's interesting is today we actually have a visitor with us, um, Brian Winterstein from, um, from the church that actually planted us. So just brought to, to memory that, um, 20 years ago, 19 years ago, uh, Christ Community Church was planted and there was a church in the States, um, Briarwood that generously sent a whole bunch of people, uh, so generous in, in financing it. Um, but our history as a church is to be. A, a church plant out of Briarwood Church, and and we now are, are planting another church, and God willing, uh, will be used many, many, many times um, to to plant more churches and and have huge impact for God's kingdom. So it's a cool little sort of link in with with what happened last week here at church. Okay, we've got uh, the story of the Good Samaritan that we're looking at. And this is probably a familiar story. Uh, if you if you don't often go to church, haven't historically come to church a, a lot of times. I would imagine you probably have heard of the Good Samaritan. Arguably, it's 
It's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. In fact, it's so been so influential that Jesus used the example of the Samaritan because the Samaritans were sort of despised, sort of half-breeds. Um, and, and yet now when we think of Samaritans, because of this story, uh, they're, they're hugely esteemed, the idea of a Samaritan. And so it's, it's interesting the impact that this story has had. Now, when, when you read that and think about this story, I would imagine there's a couple of deep things that are going on for us. One is, when we hear of this, the love and the care of this Samaritan man for, for a stranger um, in need, I think we, we just want to be like that. There's a sense where we're drawn into this story and we just would love to be the sort of person that is so kind and compassionate and caring. The, I think the other thing that happens as we read this story is we, we think if we were ever in that desperate helpless situation of the man who's robbed we would long for someone to show us the sort of kindness and mercy shown by the samaritan as well see those sort of two deep things that that are probably happening a desire to be like the good samaritan but also a desire to to know and be loved by by people like the good samaritan now with um with this passage very familiar uh, if you were read children's Bibles as a as a child, a lot of them would have, um, yeah. Don't know, but but often this story is is moralised. What I mean by that is um, moralising is when we we take something and we ask, okay, what am I called to do as a result of this story? And you can see how that can directly happen. We we see this wonderful story of the Good Samaritan. And we're like, man, hey, let's let's be like the Good Samaritan and show love like that. Okay, but we, we want to be a people who don't moralize but theologize. And the difference is that to theologize would be to, to say, firstly, okay, what has God done and what is God communicating through this before then, what am I called to do as a result? To see the difference. And I think as we theologize this passage, uh, actually the, the outcome and the call might be the same. But the way we get there is very different because we see as we theologize that actually we have received incredible compassion and mercy from Jesus. Okay, so we're going to jump in. There's, our outline is, is two points. Um, basically, the, uh, the um, lawyer asked two questions. So the outline should come up on the screen. The, the lawyer asked two questions. Uh, the, sorry, that's not the outline. There we go. Yeah. Um, the, the first one is... Uh, a test for Jesus. So the question is designed to test Jesus. And the second one, um, actually, the question is asked to justify the lawyer. And as we go through this, we'll actually see that the question to test Jesus is that Jesus is the one that can pass the test. And the justification for the lawyer, we'll see that actually it's only Jesus that can justify the lawyer. So let's go through these two. So picking up from verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to in inherit eternal life? So a lawyer back then is actually not that dissimilar from a lawyer now. Um, so I don't know what you've got in your mind when you think of a lawyer, but they, they te teach the law, they uphold the law, they, they practice the, the law. Um, and, and particularly in, in those times, the law was God's Old Testament law. So this guy was an expert in God's Old Testament law and, and helping and teach it and, 
and the people practice it in theory. Now, these guys, as we see in the, the stories of Jesus, didn't like Jesus a whole lot. Um, and so this is a test that he's trying to trip Jesus up with his knowledge or understanding or input um, of, of the law. And so he tests him. And yet, even in the test, we see there's some respect. He stood up and he addresses Jesus as teacher. And he asks a really good question. And the, the question the question is uh, really good um, for for a number of reasons. But I often actually use this this question when I'm having trying to have deeper conversations with friends. So the the question I I often put to to people when I'm trying to have deeper conversations is if you could ask one question, and you were guaranteed the right answer, if there was a right answer, what question would you ask? But think about that for a second. Now, to, to help you think through that, uh, if you Google it, what's the most asked question? It is, what should I watch? Right now, that'd be, it'd be helpful. Or like, honestly, it'd be helpful to know the answer to that question. But I wouldn't say that'd be the, the one thing that you would want the answer to. You might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I would ask the gold lotto numbers. That'd be, that'd be sort of handy. You can see how, how that would, would be useful. I, I wouldn't condone gambling, but that's not really gambling because you know. Um, uh, another one, as I've discussed it with people, someone might say something like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to know how to solve world hunger or bring about world peace. So those are some good answers. But in, invariably, actually, as people go through it, the, the question that the people, a lot of people get to is some sort of question around eternal life, right? Because we all know uh, if Ecclesiastes talks about how, how God has put eternity on the human heart. And if there is eternity, then, then knowing how or what that is and what that looks like, uh, is, is actually, it's got to be the most important and significant question. So he asks this good question here. But you'll notice in the question, he's sort of moralizing a little bit. He's asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, so he, he's asking, he, he's just getting a, at how he's going to be able to earn it. And, and Jesus, um, is clever Jesus in his interactions, because he just asked the lawyer a question back. He says uh, to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I think Jesus knew that this guy couldn't wait to answer his own question and show how smart he was. So Jesus just sort of asked it back to him. And the lawyer gives a good answer. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a good answer, partly because he's quoting the Old Testament here. So uh, the first part is a quote from... Um, from Deuteronomy, the second part is a quote from Leviticus. Um, in, in both cases, he's sort of summarizing the the Old Testament laws, but it's also just a good answer when we think about it. Like he's, he's talking that vertical relationship between us and God and, and how we're meant to respond in love to, to God, but also the horizontal, okay, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. As you just think through that, like if, if we all were to live like that, how good it would be. Uh, in, in fact, I think even with the question being about eternity, when we think about eternity with Jesus, uh, the, the picture that we, we probably have is a, where there's perfect love and harmony and compassion. So it's a good, good answer. And, and Jesus 
acknowledges that. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, now, on one hand we, we see Jesus answering that way and there's probably a little bit of us that's like, well, that's a, that seems correct. But part of us is like, hang on, Jesus, are you telling us we can do something and earn our salvation and earn eternity? Like, what's what's actually going on here? I want to just quickly sort of step back and unpack a little bit um, what I think is going on here. Because ever since the beginning of creation, uh, we, we in a sense have, have two possible ways that humanity can rightly relate with God, right? And they're often called the, the covenant of, of life or works and the covenant of grace. And the, the covenant of what I'd call life is, is God gives to Adam and Eve, um, you know, they're, they're in the garden relating perfectly with him. And if they continue in obedience to him, then they will spend e- eternity in that paradise, right? Uh, so there's, there's the, the possibility, in a sense, of, of rightly relating to God through obedience, through loving him and loving others perfectly, right? That's the, the covenant, covenant of works, whereas the covenant of grace is, is where another fulfills the covenant of works in our place, uh, and we receive um, mercy as a result of that and grace that Jesus gives us. So in terms of the covenant of, of life or works, um, the, the whole story of the Old Testament is essentially making a case that we can't do that in our own strength and power. Um, we, we have all sinned and fallen short. Uh, we have not loved God or loved our neighbours as ourselves. Uh, and, and so the, the whole of the Old Testament, the, the whole reason Jesus came is because he is the one that fulfills that so that he can offer us mercy and grace. So, so in a sense, this, this answer is correct. Um, do this and, and you will live. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're, we're meant to see from, from our understanding of Jesus that, at that actually the whole reason he came is because no one can do it. But the lawyer... He thinks that he can. And that leads to his second question and his attempt to justify himself. Okay, so we're on to our second point. He's trying to justify himself. Uh, verse 29. But he, uh, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Again, this is, this is a good question. But you notice that, that already, just in the question itself, that the lawyer here is trying to sort of put restrictions around this, right? Who's my neighbor? He's trying to get a, like a, a subset of people that he, he might need to, to love, which is, which is interesting. And, and that's, that's actually how we, we all tend to operate. There's actually a really famous uh, legal case, uh, and it's called Donahue versus Stevenson. I'm getting a nod from a lawyer here. Uh, who, who established uh, what's called the, the neighbor principle. Now, essentially what happened about 100 years ago, this poor lady had a ginger beer. Don't make that. Ginger beer is a great drink. It was, it was in a different country. You can, Bundy ginger beer is great. Um, and, and anyway, she, she had this ginger beer and had a like, decomposed snail in it. She got really sick from it. And so she sued the, the person who sort of ran the company um, for, for damages and whatnot. And so this case sort of was the, 
the case that established this this neighbour law principle. And I've just underlined a couple of things, and this is the the final response. Um, um, basically, um, they have to you have to take care to avoid acts or omissions which are likely to injure your neighbour. So notice there's a restriction on there. You you just got to avoid things that might cause harm, but it, it doesn't talk about sort of doing good if if they are harmed. So there's a restriction there. Um, and the second one is um, persons who are so closely and directed affected by my act that I ought reasonably to have had them in contemplation. So it's it's also restricting sort of the people that might be affected. Right now, this is this is actually a good law. This has done done good things, but in our legal system. We, we naturally have these restrictions on what it means to sort of love our neighbor. And we see in the passage here that, and that's what the lawyer is expecting. We see in the, the passage that Jesus does not put restrictions on what it means uh, to love your neighbor. Let's look at the, the story he tells in starting verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this is a very dangerous journey. Got a slide that's going to come up that shows sort of the, the sort of the modern day, uh, what this looks like. So, everyone, can you throw that, that slide up? Um, so, this is the road between Jerusalem and, and Jericho. Lots of places for um, robbers to, to hide and, and whatnot. And this man was left near death and destitute. Right? So he's in a terrible way and he can't, he can't do anything to, he's helpless. Um, but he's also naked. You know, that's, I mean, that's bad, um, just sort of uncomfortable and, and whatnot. But it's, it's also people couldn't recognize you because in those days you, you could sort of be recognized as your people group and sort of who you were in society by the clothes that you wore. So being naked, he was actually unable to be identified, which sort of comes into the story. So verse 31, uh, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Uh, and then it's not just a, a priest. Uh, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So there's a, a few things going on in, in these verses. Uh, firstly, um, <laughs> On one, the priests and the Levites, they were sort of meant to be the most righteous. In fact, almost certainly this teacher of the law, this lawyer, was from that class. Okay, because it was the jobs of the priests and the lawyers to, to teach and uphold the, the law and the sacrificial system in, in Judaism. Okay, so, so almost certainly Jesus is, is, is sort of putting the lawyer in this story and saying, hey, as a priest and a Levite, just like you, and they're walking on the other side. Now, I wonder what's going on for the lawyer as Jesus is saying that. I would imagine he's actually trying to self-justify um, and, and sort of say, well, you know, there'd be, there'd be a number of reasons why you would walk past, okay? He, you don't know who he is. Like, he's unrecognizable. Um, given his state, he almost certainly would have been unclean. So for, to, to help him would have made the person who helped him unclean. There's a sacrifice there. Um, and there's obviously danger on the road. If this guy's being robbed, if you stop to help, you might get robbed yourself. All right? but, but Jesus here in, in this is, is making the point, um, loving your neighbor actually means sacrificial love. 
right? Not just doing things which are convenient and easy or that we're sort of called and obligated to do, um, but sacrificial things that, that can be hard, that, that put you out for the sake of another. Jesus is, is showing the, the lawyer um, that, that he's not the neighbor here in the story. So he's building a case that he's not the, the neighbor. But he, he goes further than, than just that, that, just saying, hey, don't put restrictions on, on, on how it puts you out if you're going to love your neighbor. Uh, he also says being a neighbor means love of a stranger. So in verse 33, he introduces the, the next character, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Now the Jews, they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans for them were filthy half-breeds. They were irreligious. They were sort of the stench of society. Um, a typical Jew would be able to, to track their family history back hundreds, if not a thousand years. Right? Whereas the Samaritans, they had sort of half descended from from some of the northern tribes of, of Israel, but they'd interbred with different people. They'd brought in religious practices from, from these foreigners. And so for a Jew, they were sort of despicable. Uh, not only that, but the, the Jews actually, about a century earlier, had just been so incensed by the, the Samaritans trying to sort of worship God, but not in the ways that they thought they should. They'd actually invaded and destroyed the Samaritan temple. And so they despised uh, the Samaritans. Now, the, the Jews didn't just cross the road to avoid Samaritans. They actually crossed over half the country to avoid the Samaritans. I put up a map. Um, don't know how, how clear that is there, but there's Jerusalem's down the bottom. Uh, lots of Jewish people sort of resided down in Judea near Jerusalem. And there was a whole other bunch up near the, the Sea of Galilee, up there near Capernaum, where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. So there's two sort of places where the Jews were, but the Samaritans were in the middle. All right. Most direct way was that white path. Uh, we know Jesus traveled that because, say, for instance, John 4 talks to Samaritan by the well, he visits Samaritan villages. That path is two days' travel shorter than the path going around. And it's interesting, the, the red path around to the east is the most common one and it actually passes through Jericho. So I wonder even if, if Jesus, when he says from Jerusalem to Jericho is where this trip was happening, he's sort of picturing um, setting off around the Samaritans. Um, so it's, so they, the, that's just setting up sort of the, the tension between the, the Jews and the Samaritans here. So Jesus introduced a Samaritan here and look what he says next. Um, so this man came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is confronting. The Samaritan didn't see a Jew. Didn't see a, a stranger. He saw a human. Saw a neighbor. And when he saw, he had compassion. Now, we've been going through this series, A Compassion That Compels, and we've been looking at so many times in the stories of Jesus' life in particular where, where he has a compassionate heart which overflows in, in love and care. Of that word compassion, it's used many times in the gospel, but there's only twice when it is used when it's not used of Jesus. 
Now, one of those times is in Luke chapter 15, and we looked at this a number of weeks ago. That's the story of the prodigal son. And remember, the, the son has run off from his father. He's despised his father, um, but he repents and he returns. And we see in that story just wonderfully, whereas the, the father could be pointing the finger of condemnation at his son. Instead, we, we read that he has compassion. And he opens his arms and he embraces his son. Right now, the only other time that someone other than Jesus is this story here. And it's a Samaritan. Samaritan showing compassion to a stranger. Are in desperate need. Someone who arguably he could have just walked by, but instead his heart of compassion meant he poured out love for a stranger. And as you see it, the, the love that he showed is not just sacrificial, it's, um, it's also significant. What I mean by that is that that he he showed love in a way that truly restored this man who's in a helpless position. So let's let's read that in verses 34, 35. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This compassion has led to practical love. He cared physically for this man. He cared financially. It's really significant that not only did did he sort of tend for the wounds there and bring him to the, the inn so that he could be further cared for, but he actually paid to ensure that that care would happen and said I'll come back and make sure it's all paid because someone who is destitute um, they would often have to sell themselves into to slavery if they couldn't pay their debts the Samaritan is is so significant the way that is helping the needs of this man and so then after this story Jesus asks his question and when he answers this question, he, he sort of reframes the original question that the lawyer asked about who is my neighbor. See there in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? All right, now, I'm trying to explain this in a way that makes sense. I, I explained to someone the other day, they, they weren't on the same page with me about it. Hopefully you get it, um, or I could just be wrong. Um, but... When the, when the lawyer asks his question, he's like, who is my neighbor? He's thinking of himself. And then he's thinking of sort of others as his neighbor, right? Jesus, when he asks his question, he, he reframes it uh, because he's, he says, which of these three, so he's given his three option, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. What he's doing in the reframing of the question is he's reframing the who is my neighbor to sort of who is your neighbor. I think what he's, what he's doing and what he's, he's asking the, the lawyer to, to think is to actually put himself in the position of the man who has been robbed. So, so if that, that's the case, that actually reframes uh, what Jesus is, is asking uh, the lawyer to, to think about here. 
He is putting the lawyer in the position of the helpless man, the man who needs mercy. So then the lawyer in verse 37, he said, um, in answer to that question, the neighbor is the one who showed him mercy. He can't bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. But he says it's the one that shows mercy. And it's it's actually a helpful phrasing uh, because it's it's saying, um, you know, the, the neighbor is the, the one that is merciful and kind. We can we can see that uh, the the relationship now between the the Samaritan and the the man who has been robbed has is totally transformed. Um, they've gone from being strangers to to you would imagine they would just have such a close and wonderful relationship, and and I think that's helpful to to consider because I think a, as we might have opportunities to to love and care in, in sacrificial ways, in ways we probably don't, don't have to naturally, uh, that, that just transforms people's lives uh, and it changes relationships. It's really powerful when that happens. And, and this passage finishes then with, with Jesus calling the lawyer to do likewise. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So it's interesting, he's, it's firstly placed the, the lawyer in the position of the priest, uh, then in the one that's rob, been robbed, and now in the position of the Samaritan. Right? It's interesting how that, that plays out. Uh, Jesus is calling him to be a true neighbor, to show compassion. Right? On, on the surface, the original question of what shall I do to intern, inherit eternal life has been answered here. But the big underlying question is, has the lawyer done it right not only has he done it can he do it right and telling this story i think jesus is trying to bring to light this this lawyer's need all of our need uh, that we we can't do what the law demands we need someone else to do it and to show mercy for us you see jesus in this this parable in this story this interaction he provides this incredible dilemma to the lawyer the lawyer thinks that he knows the answers, but clearly he doesn't. Because Jesus has done at least three things. Firstly, he shows that, that the lawyer hasn't loved his neighbor. Right? And putting him in the position of the, the priest in the story, he hasn't loved his neighbor. Um, it raises the question, has he really loved God? Right? The, the second thing Jesus has done is he's provocatively reframed the lawyer to not be the loving neighbor. Right, but rather than being the loving neighbor, he's in the the person in the position of needing mercy. So when Jesus then says to the lawyer, "Well, you go and do likewise," I think what he's trying to help the lawyer to do and to see is, "I can't. I'm I'm helpless. It's too much." It means that he is not the good Samaritan in this story. But he needs the good Samaritan. Well, that obviously leads us to who is the good Samaritan? It's Jesus. And we've been seeing this all through this series. That Jesus is the one that shows compassion 
that is merciful. Right? Think about it if you've been here as we've gone through, even last week, he is the one that has compassion on the helpless. Remember, he looked at the crowds and he saw that they were helpless with like a sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. He is the one who restores the unclean, right? He, he touches in the unclean to minister to their needs and restore them. We, we saw that when he, he reached out and touched that dead man for the grieving widow and restored him to life. He is the one who pays the cost so that we can be welcomed into the Father's loving arms as we saw in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who has fulfilled that covenant of life. He has done it so that he might show us mercy. We might receive his mercy in the covenant of grace. So thinking again of, of our original question, how shall I inherit eternal life? If we're to moralize this story, it would be to do, to earn. Somehow got to, got to do something to earn um, e- eternity. But if we theologize, I think you'll see that actually Jesus has done it. Right, at great cost to himself, he has laid down his life. He has paid for your sin so that you who are helpless, lost in your sin and transgression, can spend eternity with him. I just want to go as we we finish to um, another verse which looks at this question. It's interesting, in a different context, um, Jesus gives like the th- theologian theol- that answer um, straight away. So John 3.16, it's, it's a familiar verse, but I think it's just helpful to reflect on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? It's a clear promise in those verses that he has done it. Out of a compassionate heart to love, uh, Jesus has come. He's laid down his life. And whoever believes in him, whoever trusts that he is merciful and kind, um, seeks to him for forgiveness, will have eternal life. That is his promise. So I want to leave us uh, with, with a couple of things to reflect on. Firstly, will you reflect on whether at times where you have not loved God with your whole heart, not loved your neighbor as yourself? Take the moment to put yourself into that position of the, the priest or the Levite in the story. Just acknowledge that there's been times where you haven't done that. Will you then secondly spend a bit of time putting putting yourself in the position of the the helpless man right the one that needs mercy uh, the one that needs to be shown kindness and compassion right will you look to Jesus and trust that he is the one that shows mercy and thirdly 
And this is, this is really powerful. Will you then, as one who, who has received mercy and grace, ask God to use you as a conduit of that mercy and grace to others? Right? That, that we might love sacrificially, that we might love the stranger, that we would love so substantially. We might not have the exact same circumstances where all three happen at once. But we will have opportunities in our life to love sacrificially, love the stranger, and love substantially. Will you seek to do that? I'm going to give us just a, a minute or two and then I'll, I'll get up and pray. But will you think of those three things? Um, how you've fallen short, your need for mercy and trust in Jesus, and then a desire and, and even a commitment to seek with his strength and power to love your neighbour. Merciful God, you are our maker. Uh, you are our judge. Father, we have not loved you with all of our heart all of our strength with all of our mind we have not loved our neighbour as ourselves Father we thank you and we are so thankful uh, that you love us Indeed, you so loved the world that you sent your only Son. We thank you that Jesus has not only shown us how to love you and love our neighbours, but he has done it, and he has then laid down his life so that we may be partakers in his inheritance. Father, we thank you that you justify us through what Jesus has done on our behalf. Father, I pray uh, that we would trust what Jesus has done. We wouldn't just trust what he has done on our behalf, but we would know his love and his compassion. And Father, we would embrace your open arms uh, that we would be changed and transformed. We would be no longer people who are enmity to you, people who uh, might be seeking to, to earn your favour, but would we see that we have it, uh, we're assured in having it through the love of, of Jesus and what he has already completed upon the cross. Father, this story resonates with us deeply because we desire to be the Good Samaritan, and I pray that you would help us. Would your Holy Spirit empower us and strengthen us to see needs, uh, to be with those who are quick to be sacrificial in meeting those needs, that we would love not only those around us, um, but those who might even be strangers to us in the most significant of ways. Father, I pray that that we individually and as a church body 
uh, would be those that are marked by the love that we have for one another. A love that is, is marked by the love that we have received from you. And that by that, all people would know that we are your disciples. And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.